Would you turn with me to the scriptures, please? We want to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Pardon me, chapter 6. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, this, this morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We want to begin reading at verse 45. Mark, chapter 6, verse 45. Reading on. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up, Unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. We'll stop there. Keep your Bible open there. Well, let's buy in a word of prayer. Father, we Thank you for the beautiful song that we have heard sung in your presence this morning to encourage our hearts of the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb. And we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful songs of Zion we've been able to sing here this morning. And now, Father, we ask you that you would bless all who are in this car park this morning, all who have come, Lord, under the sound of your word and to remember the death of your Son by the taking of the emblems. And also those that are watching live, Father, from wherever they are around the world, we pray, Lord, that you would bless them and encourage them. Now, Father, take this man of frailty with clay lips and anoint him with thy spirit and use me for your glory. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. The Lord Jesus has just fed the multitude here. It tells us that there were 5,000 in Mark's account of him feeding them with five loaves and two fish. In Matthew's account, in chapter 14, it says there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So if you take 5,000 men, then possibly their wives or the young women and then the children, some statisticians say it could have been fifteen to 20,000 people. We don't know. But we know that there was a far greater miracle done than what we see in the chapter. He had broken the bread when he had blessed it. And he had given the fish and it never ran out. And the disciples were able to go and to collect 12 baskets, one for each of them themselves. It shows us how when we obey the word of the Lord, and it seems that the Lord is telling us to do things that are impossible or he's telling us to do things that don't seem sensible that when we walk in with by faith in the word of God and when we trust solely 
and uniquely and completely only on the word of God, then he does the rest. And not only that, he gets them to sit down. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives to the disciples. And they give to others, to the people that are sitting there. And it shows us that there is a blessing to be had in serving the Lord. For they had one basket full each in return. And so the Lord is no man's debtor. And friend, you can trust the Lord this morning that when you're giving unto the Lord in service, that there's nothing that you're doing is going unnoticed nor unrewarded when kingdom come. When Christ returns in all of his glory and all these things will be wet up in his balances, you can be assured that your labor and your service for Christ, Christian, will be rewarded. We don't serve him to gain, and we don't serve him to get, but we serve him because we love him, and we love him because he first loved us. Here this great miracle had happened in the feeding of all this great multitude, and we find that afterwards they're wanting to relish, as it were, in the glory of what had happened. They want to stay behind, and who wouldn't? Who wants to leave a meeting when it's so evident that God is moving in the midst? I know I've been to many a meeting, and I've been in many a meeting where God is, con is convicting hearts, where God is encouraging hearts. And I don't want to move from that meeting. I don't want to leave that meeting because of what God is doing in the midst of it. I'm sure many of us have been there. These disciples would have been in awe at what Christ had done among this great multitude of people. With so little, he was able to bless so many. And we can say it is true of the old song, little is much when God is in it. So despise not the day of small things, friend. You might say my ministry, you might say what I do for God is little because maybe of frailty maybe for age and you're unable, or maybe for one reason or another, you may say it's little, but I can tell you little is much when God is in it. And you place it into the hands of God, and you do it with all of your might unto the Lord, and leave the rest up to him, and he will give the increase, and he will perform his own word. We notice here that we're told in the beginning of our reading in Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. And straightway, immediately, immediately it says, straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Notice, he constrained his disciples. The word constrained there is a big word, anakinezo. And it gives the idea of where we get our word to agonize even from. To agonize over something. To be serious about something. We're told here these men naturally want to stay where the glory is. The glory cloud has come and many have been fed and watered. And here they are in the midst of this great and wonderful miracle. And Jesus straightway constrained them. It means to necessitate. I want you to get this because it happens in all of our lives. As believers, we find this happens from time to time. We can't understand 
why it happens. We can't work it out how things happen. But we know this, that there are times in our lives when God constrains us to do. God constrains us to go. God constrains us to give. Those things the Holy Spirit may place in our minds and in our hearts to lay down. Things that we hold dear. Things that we love. Things that we think we need. Things that we have been praying for. And he's saying you're praying in the wrong way for the wrong thing. Rather pray in the will of God. And so he says lay it down. It may be a love of our life. It may be a pleasure. A luxury. It may be something that you and I hold terribly dear and God may be constraining us to say will you leave it in my hands and believe me for what I'm going to do I'm aware this morning that maybe all of us if not most of us here are believers so I'm I'm looking at you Christian to say these things happen in the Christian life and in the Christian walk he immediately he constrained his disciples, it means to necessitate. At this point in time, at this place where they were, it was absolutely necessary for them to get into the ship and to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now I could understand them saying, well, why would this be necessary? Why would this be necessary to happen to us at this point? We have worked hard and we have labored and all these people have fed been fed and we have served you Jesus and we have obeyed your word why would it be necessary so necessary the idea is almost as if you would grab someone and force them along to compel someone the word is used this anakinizo word for constrained is used quite a lot throughout the scriptures for example in Luke chapter 14 if you'd like to turn with me to it in Luke chapter 14, we just want to look at a verse or two. We can't read too much of it for time's sake. And verse 15 says, And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come. For all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. First said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. Now note verse 23. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled that my house may be filled here the Lord is saying I want you to go out and compel them it's the same word for constrained it's necessary the idea is go out 
and be more active. Christian, this is a gospel message here for you and I to go and serve Christ with more fervor, to reach others with constraining them with the love of Christ, constraining them with the gospel, to be not weak nor watery nor behind the door when we're giving the word to those who we love, to those who are our family, to those who we meet, to those who walk the cities and the streets and the towns and the villages where we live, but rather to compel them. Today there's a soft, soaping, willy-nilly way about the gospel. There are those who say, don't be too straight and don't be too hard and don't be too forthright. I've had it said to myself many times. But the Lord says, go out and compel them. Go out and compel them. It's the exact same word, anakinizo, where Jesus straightway, he constrained the disciples to go into the ship to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Friend, when you're with your workmates, brother, sister, when you're with your family, I know the fallout with you maybe, the fallout out with me and my own friends, family, and those around me run from me when they see me. But nevertheless, be forthright with the word of God. For the hour is drawing close when Christ will come again. And we cannot, we cannot sit on the fence with unbelievers. But we must preach the word of God with fervency. We must witness in truth. And we must have boldness to reach the lost. Christian, take heart that Christ has said to go out and tell them, Come, for all things are now ready. That's the message of the hour. All things are now ready. The sacrifice has been made. The blood has been shed. And the debt has been paid. And Christ hath done it all. Go out without fear or favor of man or woman. And tell them of the need of the hour. And of the need of salvation. And that is in Christ. And in Christ alone. So here in Mark's gospel chapter 6. And in verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side. As I said, it means to necessitate. There are certain things in our life, maybe certain things that you're going through right now. There are certain things that are happening in our world. There are certain things that are happening in our land. And we don't understand how they're happening. We can't understand why they're happening. And you might be finding them in your life. But some things are just necessary at that time. Nevertheless, believe the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Why is this happening? Lord, why now? Why when the glory is about us and the people have been fed, why now? Friend, we don't know everything. We can't understand it all the time. 
But we can trust the Lord that he is still on the throne and that he is still in charge of our lives. Christ has never, he has never surrendered his authority over the universe and all that is happening in the nations of the world. Christ is still Lord of all. Verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. Notice this, he sends the disciples, he constrains them, almost forces them as the the term is. Get into the ship and go to the other side. Get into the ship. Believe me. Trust me. Go to the other side. And they get into the ship. He sends away the multitude. And here he goes up into the mountain. And there he goes to pray. The ship was in the midst of the sea. The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles or so across from side to side. So they must have been around three and a half miles out to sea. Darkness had came upon the land. And of course we know in our reading a storm comes. And starts to whip up in the sea of Galilee. Christ is up the mountain. Christ is starting to pray. And I can tell you friend. I believe that when he was up that mountain. He was praying for those who were on the sea. He was praying for his own. For John tells us, and having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. And I believe he's up that mountain and he's praying to the Father. And there he is in solitude. Matthew's account says, and when he was alone, he prayed. You know, friend, you can be lonely in the midst of a great crowd. You can be lonely, feel lonely in the midst of a great crowd. And you know, you can feel you have all the company in the world when you're on your own with Christ. When you're on your own with God. And sometimes we get it mixed up that we have to have so many around us when all the time He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so friend, He's up the mountain praying to the Father. A storm has come. The night has fallen. They're in the midst of the sea, probably about three and a half miles across. And of course, their heart is filled with fear and dread. Notice here it says, in verse 47, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone in the land. Verse 48, And he saw them. Now there's a miracle again. We think of the loaves and the fish. There's another miracle. He saw them. Night had came. They're in the midst of the sea. Three and a half miles out. There's no street lights. There's no car lights. There's nothing like we would light up here at night now. There's nothing to give them anything to, to help their view. Pitch black in the middle of a storm in the midst of the sea. Christ along the shore and up the mountain. One man alone. And he saw them. 
and he saw them. Friend, he was praying for them, and secondly, he saw them. I want you to know that he sees everything. He sees it all. We like to say, oh, God sees you when we're doing wrong, and that's true. Absolutely true. But he sees you when you're his child, and he sees you with his eye of love, and he sees you in the eye of grace, and he sees you with the eyes of mercy, and he sees you in your plight and in your struggles. He sees you in your temptations, and he sees you in your trials and in your troubles. He sees you in every season, whether it good or whether it bad. He sees you, my friend. Don't be discouraged this morning, but be encouraged. There he saw them. How did he see them? Pitch black, up a mountain, out to the sea, in the middle of a storm. It's night time. Because he's God. Because he's God and he knows all. It says, and he saw them toiling and rowing. Notice toiling and rowing. Let's remember these men were fishermen. And in fact, Bethsaida, where they're going to, it means a house of fish. House of fish. And there they were going to where Peter and James came from. They're going to where Andrew came from. They're going home, as it were, to their hometown. They know these, this sea. They know these waves. They know all about it. They know how dangerous it could be and how calm it can be. And there they, they're sailing, and these fishermen have become afraid. You know, I personally don't like to sit on a boat that's rocking. It makes me feel ill. I don't like boats. And sometimes if I see a program with the ships on the water, especially fishermen, my heart melts into my shoes. The thought of being on that boat. But I can tell you, these men were fishermen, and they'd have known this, and they'd have been used to things like this. But this was different. They thought they were going to drown. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to sink. Friend, these men could never have drowned. These men in this instance could never have died. These men here could never have sunk in their ship. You know why? Because Christ told them, get into the ship and go to the other side. Christ said, you're going to the other side. Christ said, you're going through you're going through to the other side. And I can tell you, friend, whatever storm you're in this morning, whatever storm your family is in, whatever storm your mind is in, whatever storm your heart is in, I think of this whole reason we're here with this whole COVID caper and all this stuff they're saying. And I think of it and people with their mental uh, health is being drastically affected with the lockdowns or the lock-up as I call it. And here they're being terribly affected with it, some people. And the, 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 the troubles in homes and even the, the, the abuse of husbands and wives there because they can't stand to be cooped up because they're afraid and they're hearing of the media hype of the things that's happening. And they're hearing of all the all of these deaths, friend, and yet they're giving us no figures, facts, or numbers. 
And people are affrighted and they're afraid of what's going on in this nation and across the world. And I think of them with their mental health being affected. People who are lying at home can't get their operations with, for cancer or their treatment and so on. Different illnesses. And they're dying. They're in a storm. You might be in your personal storm in your mind. Personal storm in your heart. Personal storm in your family. A personal storm. And you cannot cope. And you think you're going to sink. And you think you're going to drown. And the waves are going to come over you, Christian. And you're trying to stay afloat on your own. And you're toiling and rowing. The word for toiling and rowing here. It gives the idea to be tortured. These fishermen were tortured. They were exhausted. Their bodies were wrecked, tired. And they're rowing. And they're rowing. And they're rowing. It says, and the wind was contrary unto them. The wind was contrary unto them. It means every way they turned, the wind was against them. They turned to one side. The wind came against them. They went another way. The wind turned against them. They tried to go straight forward. The wind was against them. It was contrary unto them. It means face to face on every way and in every angle through every direction. Contrary unto them. And maybe you're in a storm and you're thinking the wind of this storm is contrary unto me. Everywhere I look and every way I turn no matter how much I try to move my mind and change my thoughts, the wind is contrary unto me. The storm feels like I'm going under. I'm going to sink. I'm going to drown in it. Christian, I want to tell you, you keep trusting in Christ. You keep reading the Word of God. And you believe what God says over what media says. And you keep believing what God says over what your mind tells you. And you keep believing what the word of God says over your own thinking. And you keep believing the word of God over what the devil says. And you're going over. You're going through, not under. And you will reach the other side. You'll come through it, friend. You will come through this. We will come through this. Because as I said before, Christ is still King of Kings and He's Lord of Lords. Notice here, they were in the midst of the ship. They were tortured, toiling and rowing. He saw them. He sees you this morning. He saw them. I can hear Peter maybe shouting to John or Andrew, to, to, to James or one of, the, one of the other disciples and they're toiling and rowing. Pull this way and that way. And they're soaking wet with the water. And maybe it's cold at night and the wind's blowing on them and there's a cold sweat coming on them. Their heart's racing. And he saw them. He's praying for them. Then he sees them. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, what it says, we have not, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. You know what that tells me? That Christ, He knows how you feel. 
says, God, he knows me. As God, he knows me. He knows all things. And as a man, he understands me. He's felt pain. He's felt rejection. They've rejected him. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He has despised and we esteemed him not. Brothers and sisters, friend, he knows what rejection is like. He was crucified, kneeled hand and foot to the tree. He was whipped with the Roman flagellum. He knows what pain is like. He's felt the pangs of death and entered through the veil which we have yet to face. And maybe that is frightening to you. That we will all die should Christ tarry. We will all enter through the veil to the valley of the shadow of death. But friend, you can say, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Notice here, he saw them toiling and rowing. Maybe that's you. You're tortured with this. Keep rowing, brother. Keep going. Keep rowing, sister. Keep going. Keep rowing and keep going. You're going to make it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because Christ is on his way. And we find that he walks upon the sea. On and in our scripture. Notice this. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them walking upon the sea. And would have passed by them. Here's something I want you to note. He comes walking on the sea. He's praying for them. He sees them. He cometh to them. Comes walking on the sea. The word to walk on is the word epi. And it means the sea turned like a pavement when the feet of Christ touched the water. The sea turned like a pavement when the feet of Christ touched the water. And he comes walking out. What a walk. Three and a half miles from the shore. What a walk coming down the mountain along the shore. And three and a half miles. How far he walked in the dead of night. Probably between three to six o'clock in the morning. More around three to four at night. And our Christ. He is walking upon the sea. And the sea is turning like a pavement. You know there was an old preacher. As the Reverend Soper, you called him, he became a modernist trying to explain away uh, the wonderful works and miracles of the Bible. And he says that Christ walked and paddled in the shallows. Friend, if he was in the shallows, they wouldn't have needed a Savior. They wouldn't have needed help. If he was walking just in the shallows, they wouldn't have needed him to come to the rescue. But I can tell you, friend, he walked three and a half miles or so out to sea. And there he turned the water to a pavement. He knew the depth of the water. How did he know? He created it. He knew the depth of the water. He created it. He felt the wind and the force of it. 
He felt the water and the cold of it. And he felt the spray, the wet of it. Brothers and sisters, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it's like, and he enters their storm with them. And sometimes he's not going to remove the storm. We say, Lord, remove this storm, remove this storm. Change the storm, Lord, into a calm. And sometimes he doesn't do that, but rather he's changing you in the storm. He's changing you to be able to cope with the next storm, with the next trial, with the next problem, with the next worry, with the next care. He's changing you inside to be able to cope, to be able to believe in him for greater bigger and better things. That's why he takes us and tempers us. The word here, toiling and rowing, it gives the idea of testing gold and silver. Of testing gold and silver to test the purity of the gold and silver. They got what was known as a a black silicocus stone. And they used to put the gold through the fire and the silver through the fire. And they used to rub it with the stone to see the grooves that were left in it. The color of it spoke of the purity of it. Spoke how pure the gold was, how pure the silver was. And when you're going through it, it's like you're being rubbed with this. They called it the touchstone. You're being rubbed with this touchstone. To see how pure, how pure the gold is of your faith. The trial of your faith is like precious gold, pure gold. Here he's rubbing, as it were, the touchstone over your life. To bring you out as pure gold, to see your faith. He knows it, but you need to know it. What you're made of. What you're made of at these times. Notice here, he's walking to them, verse 49, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. They supposed it had been a spirit. The word spirit here isn't the word pneuma, as in we would give for like of Holy Spirit. But it's the word phantasma. Phantasma. And it means the spirit of the occult. A spirit of... Of the occult. In other words a a wicked spirit. An evil spirit. They thought they saw. A phantasma spirit. When Christ came out of the darkness. Think about this. Walking on the sea. And the pit's black. The storm's blowing. And suddenly a figure comes out. Frighten any of us. But they thought. They shouted phantasma was the word. They thought they had seen. A spirit of wickedness. A spirit from the occultic works and charms. Here's something I'd like to ask. How come they, and how come sometimes we, how come that we see the devil in everything rather than Christ in everything? How come people are looking to see the devil attacking? The devil's doing this, and the devil's doing that, and the devil's doing the other thing, and I'm in the storm, and the devil, the devil, the devil. Friend, it wasn't the devil. This was Christ in the storm. 
How come people give too much glory to the devil, Christian? He's not all-powerful. He's not the omnipotent one. Only our Father in heaven is. Only our God is. And yet, they believe here, they see, they think that a spirit has come to finish them off in the sea, in the midst of a storm, in the darkness and blackness of night, being disciples of Christ, and they see a phantasma spirit, an occultic spirit. Friend, don't look for the devil. Don't give him the glory. Don't look for what he's trying to do. Christ is in the storm. Christ is with you in it. Christ is with you through it. Don't give the devil the glory. They thought it was an occultic spirit. How come we can believe at times the devil can be in the middle of the storm in the darkness? The devil can be in the middle of the trouble and the trials and the temptations and all those things. How come we believe the devil can be in the, our head space all the time and it's, the devil is torturing us? When, how come we believe the devil can reach you there like he reached these disciples, but we can't believe that God can reach us? We can't believe that Christ can come to us. Oh, you're so far away, Lord. You're so far away, Lord Jesus. Friend, Christ was there. Christ came. Christ walked on water. Christ came into the middle of, of the storm. Christ broke the darkness. Christ, Christ, Christ. Friend, and another thing. In these days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody's looking for the Antichrist. Antichrist has been, the spirit of Antichrist has been with us. From the days of Nimrod. Stop looking for an Antichrist. And start looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians everywhere are besotted. Looking for the Antichrist. Friend, there's no way we'll be looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come again. Note this. Verse 50 says, For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now that's the language of heaven, friend. Your company, your company will determine your language. And your company, who you spend time with, will determine the measure of your faith at times. If you hang around with the wrong company, if you hang around with faithful, faithless people, if you hang around with the godless, if you hang around with the unsaved, if you hang around with those Christians who call themselves Christians and live like devils or carnal Christians as they call themselves, you'll become one, you'll be like one, and you'll speak like one. But here Christ comes and he says, Be of good cheer as I be not afraid. That's the language of heaven. Speak in faith, brother. Speak the word of God, sister. Speak positivity in Christ. Claim the promises and the blessings of the scriptures and talk to the Lord daily. 
That's the language of heaven. He talked with them. I close with this. Thank you for your attention and your attendance today. It says in verse 51, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. The word here, the wind ceased, that means the devil tried his best. It means that the storm tried its best. Maybe that's your life. You seem like you're getting waves of it. You start having moments of faith in the scripture. The word of God starts to come alive in you. Starts to breathe in you. Starts to live in you. Start to get faith building up in you. And you start to overcome these things. And suddenly, you start to have this wave again. This storm grows again in you. And your mind can't cope and your heart is struggling. Friend, let me tell you this. The storm is like that when Jesus got into the ship. The word for ceased here means it beat itself out. It's like a child crying and won't stop crying. And you say, I'll let the child cry itself out. That's what it means here. The storm tried and it tried and it tried and it tried against Christ, against the ship, against the boat, against the disciples with Christ in the vessel. And they found they could smile at the storm. And the storm started to cease and it started to beat itself out until it was weaker and it ceased. It's the idea of this. Listen, friend, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. Gives the idea that they almost were outside of themselves. So, so thrilled by this, so amazed by this. One modern uh, theologian says it's like someone letting out the valve from a car tire. It's like they went, Wow. See, friend, we have lost our amazement at Christ. Many of us have lost our amazement of the cross. Many of us have lost our amazement of the blood. Many of us have lost our amazement of what he's accomplished and what he's done and the miracle-working power of God still in our lives. We've lost our amazement that we're saved. Lost the amazement we're born again. We've lost our amazement that we can still even meet this morning here as the body of Christ. We've lost the amazement that God has set plans in our way and purposes. Yea, even God has put stumbling blocks to stop us going in certain directions. And then later we've lost our amazement at what He's done in our lives and in our families. We've lost our amazement at the beauty and the wonder and the glory and the splendor and the magnificence of Christ. That's what's wrong with many of us. It's wrong with the church in general today. Their heart no longer loves him like they used to. No longer love to gather like they used to. No longer love to serve like they used to. They've lost their wonder. Oh, friend, if we could take a moment and look at him afresh. And look at him again and gaze with the eye of faith to the cross of Calvary. 
And there at Golgotha's hell, where Jesus shed his blood and died to pay for the full debt of our sins, there we would find an amazement at Christ again. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, Lord, I don't know how or why you ever loved me, but I'm amazed at you. I'm amazed at your glory. I'm amazed at your love. I'm amazed at your grace. I'm amazed at your mercy. I'm amazed at you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm amazed at you. Oh, my Lord and my God. Oh, to get the amazement of Christ again. To be amazed at Him. So why would Jesus constrain the disciples to get them to go to the ship, to go to the other side? Why? Why would He put them through the storm? Did He know it was coming? Of course He knew. He was praying. He saw. He came. He talked. And he entered into the ship. Of course he knew. But why Lord must we go through these things? The last verse tells us why. Verse 52. For they consider not the miracle of the loaves. Look. For their heart was hardened. They consider not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. Now note this. Note this friend. Brother, sister in Christ, note this. They saw, they partook of the loaves and the fish to up to 15 or 20,000 people. That says 5,000 men beside women and children on Matthew's account. They partook in it. They were actually part of this. Christ worked through them. And they received the blessing from it. By the time they get into the ship, and row out to the midst of the sea. And by the time they get to the midst of the sea and the darkness comes, the storm comes, their heart was hardened. They forgot the miracle of the loaves. You know what he's saying here? Here's why we go through it. Because we forget him. Because we forget him. We forget him. On a daily basis. We forget him. We forget what he's done before. We forget the miracles. We forget the answered prayers. Oh, we have done it before Lord. I know you can do it again. But a little down the line it's. Oh no. Here I'm in the storm. He can't help me this time. You're forgetting that the God who's answered your prayers. And the God who's seen you toiling and rowing. Tortured with the things. You're forgetting that you have to put your trust in him. In the midst of these storms friend. Don't let your heart be hardened. But believe him. That he is going to come through for you. That he's going to come through to you. And he will bring you through. And you're not going to sink. You're not going under. 
You're going to the other side. He's bringing you through. And when you get to the other side, your heart will be softened. Your heart will be renewed. Because you realize your need of this wonderful Christ all over again. Oh, friend, if you're not saved this morning, maybe you've backslidden and you're here this morning. If you're not saved this morning, you don't know not what you're missing, who you're missing. The amazement of this one never ceases to amaze me every time I open this book. He springs out, as it were, like the lion of the tribe of Judah from behind the thicket of the Scripture. And there he arrests my heart. Will you trust him this morning? Believer, will you leave here? Don't let your heart be hardened by this afternoon when you sit down to your dinner. If you've been encouraged, then keep believing. Keep going. Keep rowing and keep going. Keep rowing and keep going. Believe him. Believe him that he's coming through. Believe him that he sees. Believe him that he hears. Believe him that he will answer. Believe him that he's with you. Believe him that he'll bring it to pass. The promises are yours. They're yea and amen in Christ Jesus. May God bless you today for his name's sake. Amen.